From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Welcome. Hope you're well. Happy Thanksgiving week to you and yours. Jack is off spending a little time with his sons. Got a great deal of great stuff to talk about today, including uh, more woke madness on college campuses. Uh, The experience of Germany, which is known as Europe's brothel, because there's so much prostitution there, and whether the... The claimed benefits of legalizing prostitution ended up being what was expected or not. And I don't actually have a particularly strong stand on that topic. Um, uh, I'm just a realist, as you know. I just want to know what is. Um, Too much spin, too much opinion. Just give me the data. Anyway, uh, to to join us this morning, this is terrific. Uh, Mike Slater is here. Mike is a longtime friend and colleague, host of the podcast Politics by Faith, and co-host of the radio show Slater and Lou. Mike, it's always a pleasure. How are you? Joe, it's been too long. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good, all in all. I, uh, As I was sharing earlier with the audience, I switched to a different computer to eliminate some problems um, in, in doing the show. Uh, because I have everything. I got, you know, the laptop and the multiple screens and the 25 tabs open and everything in order and highlighted and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> And and my new great super zoomy computer keeps crashing and and getting hung up and it won't do anything and uh, and I was very very frustrated and stressed for a minute but then I indulged in what sometimes Jack makes fun of me for this but if I can think of somebody significantly worse off than me the steam of that unhappiness just goes away and I thought I could be in Ukraine freezing to death. I have so, the exact same defense mechanism, and I can't tell if it's brilliant 
or really unhealthy to, get to go through life looking around being like, you're worse off than me, and that makes me feel better. I don't know if that's really good or really bad, but that's, I do the exact same thing. Well, you know, you don't want to deny your reality. You want to deal with it and, and say, okay, this is making me angry. Maybe I can say, solve it. Maybe I can't. Maybe I just need to be more patient, blah, blah, blah. You don't want to pretend like nothing's wrong because then it just builds and builds and you explode and hurl a computer across the room or <laughs> say something awful on the air or what have you. But anyway. I think um, that has to yeah. be the healthy way because the opposite is no one has it worse than me. And that can't <laughs> <Right>. be good. <laughs> right. That's not true or helpful. Well, which brings us to the narcissism of modern American society, mm. um, where we're supposed to fixate constantly on grievances. And, uh, you know, the, the opposite, I th- tell me, is this crazy? If I say to myself, I could be freezing in Ukraine, or I could be terrified that I'm going to lose my wife from some dread disease or something like that, like so many people deal with, uh, one of the smartest, most wise things I ever heard was remember, every single person you rent, run into today is mm. suffering or somebody they love is suffering. Mm. So anyway, is, no, no, is no. it not kind of when you say, wow, I could be freezing in Ukraine, isn't that kind of in reverse uh, uh not a prayer, but an expression of gratitude. It has to be. So we, my son was born two weeks ago, and we've spent two weeks in the NICU. We just, he just came home. Oh my God. Saturday. So he's been home for just a couple of days. And uh, he was born, rushed off to the children's hospital. You know, you can imagine, like worst day ever, the whole thing, right? right? And we were walking around the halls on day two of Rady Children's Hospital. And it just hit my wife and I that, this is a there's a lot going on in this building and our empathy just went through the roof of we have a baby in the NICU but we've been to- we're told he'll, he'll get better uh, but there are kids here with cancer like our baby was intubated but he's only a day old he doesn't know there's six-year-olds who are intubated and cancer patients mm-hmm. and all this it's like oh so there's so much pain and suffering in this building and that helped us get out of our head and and focus on other people and that's quite a cure yeah, yeah, boy, we this we this could turn into a very long conversation. I'm my mind is flitting in so many different directions. Do you have a NICU experience? Uh, uh, I don't. No. One thing that's been so fascinating this whole time is how many people do, and that's one of the things with suffering and why you have to tell people because everyone has an, like some connection to whatever it is you're going through. There's a couple of things in our life that we still in our culture today keep to ourselves. I think one of them is a miscarriage. Right, someone go, has a right. miscarriage. They feel so ashamed. They don't tell anyone. Maybe they kind of let it peek out. And the person's like, "Oh yeah, I've had three. And it's like, "Well, why don't we talk about that more?" And there's all these terrible experiences in life that people don't talk about because one of the consequences of it is we think we're all alone and it's never happened before and no one will understand and I'm the only one. It's and all this these lies. Uh, when if we would just talk about it, we would see to go back to your last hour how much we have we really have in common how much right. unity we really have in the things that really matter in life. Yeah, yeah. Well, to hell with it. This is just going to be a long uh, f- uh, session of philosophizing. It's going in that direction. It's a holiday week, so let's That's just do it. I love talking to you. Yeah, um, yeah I, I find myself thinking about uh, the nature of Christianity specifically, obviously, um, it, but the nature of friendship and and an actual human connection. I took a German for years and years in high school and college. Um, so you could go to the brothels. 
Uh, exactly. Exactly. And, and converse with the gals in their own language. Um, no, no. <laughs> um, uh, and my my teacher was a wonderful man, Herr Rendell, Mr. Rendell, um, and a lovely, compassionate guy. Um, but one of the things he taught us, because he taught us a great deal about German culture and history and even wine, uh, which was interesting. But um, he, he, one of the things he mentioned that to be called a friend in Germany, in German culture, is an immense honor. Mm. If you use the informal way of addressing somebody, if they have said, call me uh, uh, du, uh, du Geist, you went, instead of Ziegen, which is the more formal way to say it, um, that is an enormous compliment. We are close. We hold each other. We, we, we have love. We have a real connection. And I thought, wow, that's what the word friend means in a different culture. And, you know, you call everybody your friend, more or less, in the United States, if you know yeah. them pretty well, and you're friendly. And this is my thinking in the 80s, okay? Now you get to social media, and you have a Facebook friend mm. who you might have no affection for or regard for whatsoever. And what if, so, yeah. I don't know. No, that's so I think fascinating. We, we all know who are real friends and who are just connections. But we've, in a weird way, we've devalued closeness. Have we? I don't know. Yes, a cheapening of the concept of friendship, uh, a, a cheapening of all the connections we have in our life, uh, in every way. Arthur Brooks had an article the other day. He wrote a book years ago, but he just turned it into an article in the Atlantic about the four uh, aspects that contribute most to a life of satisfaction: and it's uh, uh, friends, or close connections, family. Mm-hmm faith and meaningful work and his theory and i agree that all four of those have not only degraded over the decades but are under systematic intentional attack they're they're intentionally being eroded uh and then of course we're less connected we're more lonely more miserable uh vote for more democrats etc etc so it's it's a bad (laughs) spiral that we're on and uh it's not good we got to turn this around but i like that concept of cheapening the idea of friendship hmm well, and speaking of cheap, I enjoy that cheap shot at Democrats, although I would suggest that there is a there is a feeling on the left, and there are plenty of people on the left who I know and like and love very much. They're good people. They see the world differently than I do, and that's fine. Um, but there has absolutely been a trend toward the government becoming our uh, our protector, our family, our parents, our provider. Uh, it, politics has become... A religion and if you tend to want all of that out, out of your government uh, I think that is terribly unhealthy and I think you're gonna vote Democrat every single time yeah our local news here in San Diego had a story of uh, two women that lived in their cars and they didn't pay the registration and they got their cars towed so they got their homes towed and they have a 12 year old boy and a 10 year old boy and so they're sleeping in the park. So the local news picked it up and did this whole thing. So the whole story is about how mean the city's towing policy is, which, by the way, loses money. Only the government could lose money in a towing enterprise. Uh, lose $2 million a year. But nothing, nothing in the article, nothing in the article, nothing in the news piece, nothing, nothing at all ever talked about the man. Where's the dad? Where's the, who, who sired these children? Who, who's right. the, where's the male involved in this whole enterprise here? Uh, it doesn't exist. So everything in these women and children's life is now on the government. And, uh, what a shame. What a shame that we, cause it's never been like that. This, the social security 
FDR had to pitch it as insurance. That's why it's called SSI, Social Security Insurance, because the philosophy back then in the 30s was better dead than on the dole. Better dead right. than on the dole. Ne- I'll never be d- d- dropped to that lowly level that I would be dependent That's on the government. humiliating. It should be. What was the, uh, what's the Cinderella man? Braddock? Was that the boxing movie Braddock? When he, he was forced at the bottom of the pits to take some government money, and then he won a fight, and he went right back to the welfare office and gave the money back. That wow. used to be who we are, as opposed to whatever we are now. Where, listen, I, I'm getting a, so one of my podcasts recently was about grumbling. I've been grumbling too much, and I was thinking of you, Joe, because you're a happy warrior, and I, I, I went like a week and a half with not being a happy warrior, and it's not good. It's not good to be a grumbler. Um, so I'm in a grumbling state. And uh, I don't want to be like that anymore, but we're, we've, we're, we're far away from where we used to be. Yeah, you know, and we've got a couple of minutes left in this segment. I, I'm a big uh, 49ers fan. I've tried to get away from the NFL. I crawled back like a junkie. It's shameful. <laughs> I just, I love it. Um, but I was watching the uh, 49ers on Monday Night Football. Apologies to our fans in Phoenix. Uh, I enjoyed the game very much as the Niners whooped up on the Cardinals in Mexico City, Weird. Uh, oddly enough. But anyway, um, it it strikes me, I was thinking about football and and sports of all kinds, and you've got to get the fundamentals right. If you don't, no brilliant scheming, no athleticism, which is a word I hate, by the way, um, no skill, no enthusiasm, will make up for it if you lack good, sound fundamentals. Mm. And yet, in the modern world, the term fundamentalist is almost always used to denigrate people. And there are certain fundamentalist movements or denominations or religions or whatever that I find pretty scary, honestly. So I'm not saying we need to embrace that word and everything that goes with it. But I think we do have to recognize that certain fundamentals, like if you produce a child, you raise a child. (laughs) You feed yourself. That's your responsibility. You work to pay your bills. These are fundamentals like don't start running until the the center snaps the ball. Or, Mm. you know, you got to run tight routes. You've got to be in shape, blah, blah, blah. We now mock the fundamentals that make us successful. Yes, and that make a country. Yeah, men who don't partake in their responsibilities should be shamed mercilessly. Uh, this goes back to the segment you were talking about the last hour about diversity is not our strength. Unity is our strength. It has to be. No other organization is like, oh, we don't agree on anything, and it's great. <laughs> it's like, like marriage doesn't work that way. Military doesn't work that way. Only apparently America. We've turned E pluribus unum out of many one into the opposite, and no one has described and articulated why that's good. We flipped our national motto completely on its head, 180 degrees, and we're just supposed to accept that as, as a good thing. Let me give you a tease here, Joe, as one radio man to another. Can, can I give a tease? Yes. It's not even my Please. show, and I'm going to tease. I love that, because uh, we need so to take a break. Perfect timing. Thanksgiving, coming up here. Uh, our latest episode in Politics by Faith is about Thanksgiving, and it's specifically about the pilgrims. And the suffering that they endured boggles the mind. It, it, you cannot fathom the suffering that they experienced for years, for many, many years, and the journey and the whole thing. Just, I, I would like to describe it when we get back. But the reason they were able to do it, the reason they were able to endure, is because, well, James 1 says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. So they're Christian faith. But they had a single-minded goal, and they had complete unity, and they never wavered from it. And that's what we need as people and a country. Stay and tuned. I'll tell you that's what that next. goal is that's next. next. we got to break. we got to break. Armstrong and Getty.
The Armstrong and Getty Show. Thanks for being here. Jack is off today, but we're chatting with Mike Slater, host of the podcast Politics by Faith, co-host of the radio show Slater and Lou. Definitely recommend checking out the podcast Politics by Faith. Uh, Mike, we have a very short segment here. I tell you, I want to talk about the pilgrim thing, the mm-hmm. pilgrim history and their suffering and, and how they endured. And and on the flip side, just wonderful, interesting book. I haven't read the book. I read the review of it by a Finnish scholar of all people, talking about how we've gotten the uh, the story of the native peoples in the United States and the settlers and the pilgrims and all. We've gotten it completely backward. Of course. Of course. In, in a way that is, uh, well, it's neither politically incorrect nor correct. It's just realist. It's realistic. So I'm looking forward to that chat. I know uh, briefly as we're meandering from topic to topic, in, including, um, you know, heavy stuff, uh, you're talking about trying to be a happy warrior instead of a, a grumbler about. Are you talking about like election results or the way things are going as a country or what? Yeah, everything. That, and election results were kind of the the impetus of it. Uh, so real quick, my podcast, Politics by Faith. The idea is uh, the news was making me too anxious and everyone I know too much anxiety. So we take the story of the day, break it down, lament the brokenness in it, and then give some historical perspective and biblical peace to make the anxiety go away. That's the premise. Of the mm. So I was very anxious about the election. Like, how could we possibly have lost that election? Like, how, how could that possibly be? So I was just grumbling for a week. And then I realized the Bible says, don't grumble. <laughs> and I remember all the, the story of the Israelites, and they left Egypt with all these miracles, and they were fleeing across the Red Sea. Moses parted the Red Sea, and the Israelites were crossing, and then God crashed the waters down on the Egyptian army behind them, killed them all. And you would think if you were one of the Israelites and you saw all that, you'd be like, oh, like I'll follow God always, forever. It took three days before the Israelites were grumbling because they were thirsty. Three days. And I caught myself doing the same thing in the NICU. I mean, we've been in the NICU for the last two weeks. And about like four days in or so when things started this to is turn the, around. the natal ICU for people That's who right. are familiar with the term. Yeah. yeah, brand new baby sent to the NICU for two weeks. So we're like four days in and things started to get a little better. And I caught myself grumbling. I'm, we're, we're on our knees praying to God that he saves our child's life. He does. And then two days later, I'm like, ugh, the food is taking forever to get oh. delivered. Wow. Like, like. What's going? Like well, this is this chair. This seriously, this chair is very uncomfortable. Uh, I got to pay for parking. I got to drive. It's forty-five minutes to drive. Uh, all this grumbling, and I thought this is no good. I, I got to get away from this. I got to be a happy warrior again. And uh, we analyze where that term came from and why that's so much better of a posture than being a grumbler. Yeah, I know my mom, God rest her soul, was uh, very big on your feelings weren't thrust upon you. You're a participant in them. Yes. Uh, y- you need to manage your own attitude, son, <laughs> <laughs> which is excellent advice. Hey, we need to take another break of a very short segment. But coming back, we have plenty of time to talk about uh, Mike Slater and his really inter- interesting take on the the pilgrims and the first Thanksgiving and, and that sort of thing. Uh, if you can't stay tuned, just grab the podcast later, Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Uh, also, Chinese prisons in the U.S., all sorts of crazy stuff to talk about. Stay with us if you can. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, 
Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s... I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Welcome. Hope you're well. Thanks for joining us. Hope you have uh, festive plans for the holidays, Thanksgiving in particular. If not, make the best of it. If you're working, I've done that many, many times. Hope you get a little extra cash. Mike Slater is with us this hour, which has been big fun. Mike is a longtime friend and colleague, host of the podcast Politics by Faith, co-host of the radio show Slater and Lou. Uh, Mike, thanks for hanging around. My pleasure, Joe. So uh, I know you have some interesting thoughts on the the first Thanksgiving in the Pilgrims. Uh, what what gets you started on this? Yeah, we, we need to keep this perspective. So let's go back to Halloween, actually. This year, Halloween felt very meaningless to me, and I like, couldn't put my finger on why. And then I finally realized it is meaningless. <laughs> like Halloween <laughs> is meaningless, but it didn't used to be. So Halloween used to be all Hallows Eve. Hollow means to make sacred, to set apart. Eve means the day before. So Halloween was the day before All Saints Day on November 1st, which was a day where you celebrate the great Christian martyrs and saints of the past. A day of deep, profound meaning, clearly. And we have secularized it and paganized it into a day of whatever dressing up in costumes and candy and horror. And, like, and we've done that with every holiday. So Christmas, of course, is the birth of Jesus Christ. And now it's Santa and reindeer and presents. And 
uh, Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ as a Christian holiday, and now it's Easter Bunny Night. So we do it with everything, and we've done it with Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving used to be, if you read the initial proclamations from our presidents, it used to be a day of fasting and prayer. Whoops. Now it's a day of gluttony and football. The exact opposite. That's wild. We don't even call it Thanksgiving. Some people call it Turkey Day. So we've, we've <laughs> secularized even like the modicum of remaining like goodness in it. <laughs> now we've like it's almost it an food. act of honesty to call it that, you know. <laughs> well, it's true because what it is yeah. now. So anyway, so I was like, well, this is weird. So what was Thanksgiving originally? So uh, and we talk about this in the podcast in, in great depth, politics by faith. Uh, but it's really, really important to know what our pilgrims went through and what they suffered and endured because it's it's boggles the mind. So uh, the short of it, sixteen twenty, a hundred and two passengers, thirty crew. They were supposed to go on two different boats, the Mayflower and the Sp- the, Sp- the Speedwell, uh, and they left twice, and both times the Speedwell leaked, so they had to come back. So this is the third attempt to make it across. Th- do you know how big? Like, how, how big do you think the boat? Like, if I when I imagine Mayflower, I think like this epic, huge ship. Yeah, I know. As a kid, I did, but I've I've come to learn that indeed it was not. It was the sort of ship that you would feel every wave. Yeah, it's like a little bathtub. So it was 25 feet wide, 100 feet long. Mm-hmm. The deck was 1,500 square feet. Under deck, five-foot ceiling. So imagine 132 people in a 1,500-square-foot house. 130 wow. people. With five-foot ceilings? Five-foot ceilings underneath. So you're, you're like crouched down underneath. No toilet. Right? Animals everywhere. Uh, horrific. Every person has about the personal space of a single bed. And the journey, though, was pretty quick. It was only 10 weeks. That's oh. <laughs> Could you imagine 10 oh. weeks in these conditions? So, of course, compared to you and I at the airport, where, you know, how was your trip? Oh, oh. It was oh, it just took, we taxied on the runway for like 30 minutes. You know what I mean? It's like oh, yeah. we have no concept yeah. of 10 weeks on a journey. People dying on the way, the whole thing. So here's the craziest part for me. They get here. So they get to, to Cape Cod, right? But it's November, they, they land in November, so they can't get off the boat. It's freezing cold, and there's nothing there. So they have to stay on the boat, and that's where they all died. Half of the passengers and half of the crew died for four months anchored off the coast. Wow. So imagine now you're in that 1,500-square-foot house with 130 people, and half of them are dying of disease, freezing to death, starving to death. Like, we don't see that stuff. We don't see death in our culture today we're completely no. distant from it mm-hmm. and and even if you see someone die like i saw my dad die but he was in the hospital and he had a stroke and you know he was like morphine and like it was like you know it wasn't i'm i'm starving and freezing and diseased and i'm sitting here on this boat dying in the wind right like it wasn't we don't have that level of, of connection to death anyway. well again just as a quick aside if you don't mind I, i've read some really interesting stuff on that topic that uh, it used to be when we were more a rural society especially but even in urban settings when grandpa died it was at home mm-hmm. and and you said your goodbyes and eventually the undertaker came or whatever but you would be aware of it and it would be at home uh generally speaking the animals that you ate you would slaughter and you would butcher. You were familiar that they were alive, and now yes. they're dead. You're grateful for their meat, etc. And in the same way that in the Victorian era, nobody ever talked about sex, but it was kind of fetishized and secret. So it mm. could be like weird and, and terrible things could happen, but nobody could talk about it. 
including rape, child molestation, whatever. Um, and I'm not calling for a complete wild pornographic openness about sex, but it's nice to be able to say, I got raped, if you get raped. Hmm. Well, in the same way, we've so separated ourselves from death We've fetishized it now, mm. and it, it fascinates us in this weird, forbidden fruit way. We don't really talk about it seriously and value it and understand it. It's just this abstract concept like sex was to Victorians. And I, I know it's kind of a complicated set of thoughts, but... No, well, then I would say because we have not contemplated death, I think we have therefore not valued life to the fullest. And I think that Bingo. explains the overreaction to COVID is because people have never contemplated their own mortality. So the idea of dying was like, what? I, I'm going to do so much to prevent dying because I've never seen it. I don't, we're, not, we're never a part of it. I'm going to do so much to prevent dying that I'm going to not even live. Right. And, right. and I think that, and so not to bring up my NICU kid again uh, for the third time, but uh, I asked well, the doctor. Well, it's obviously enormously important. Don't, said, don't apologize just, for that. just happened. Uh, yeah. I asked the doctor, I said, what would have happened 50 years ago? And uh, she said, uh, oh, he would have died immediately, like mm-hmm. right away. Right out of the womb, right out of the womb. And imagine, so that would have been two of our four kids would have died right away. Uh, you live your life differently if that's the case. And that would have been normal. And it would right. make you way more dependent on God and reliant on God in your life. And we don't have that. So, Right, that's uh, interesting. My wife would have certainly died uh, giving birth to our first, first child. Mm, um, mm, so, yeah, I can yeah. relate. Oh, wow. Anyway. So, yeah, yeah, so these everyone's dying on the boat. <laughs> I can't, I can't fathom watching people around you die. And let's say you know they get November, so like uh, December. So so people die in December, and then January. And what do you do all day? What are you doing? You can't watch Netflix. What are you doing on the boat as everyone's dying and you're freezing to death? And there's no food. So you, all of January, February, and it wasn't until March 31st when they were able to get off the boat. And out of 123, there were only 53 people left. And then. They get on the land and there's nothing there. It's not like they can swing by the hotel and take a shower and sleep. Like now you have to make houses <laughs> and, and food. And like it's right. blows our minds. And what I lament, because that's what we do in the podcast. We lament. It's important. Lament is a very important uh, thing to do. Uh, I lament that no one knows this story. I lament that I've gone how many years in my life without knowing and really contemplating the the suffering that these people endured so that we can be here today and have Turkey Day. Gobble, gobble. And I think we should all know the story of William Bradford and the, the governor. We should read his diary. Like We need to know what our pilgrims did as opposed to just making it into a thing that kindergartners do. You know, They dress up in funny costumes and sing a dumb song. Uh, so I lament that we're just not as serious people when it comes to our history. Or the grotesquely uh, oversimplified and inaccurate idea that Europeans swept across the country and, and slaughtered the brave, peaceful, lovely uh, native peoples, because it was much, much more complicated than that. Uh, which brings us to this uh, book I'd mentioned by a, uh, a Finnish scholar by the name of Hamelainen, and uh, that's close at best to how you pronounce his name. It has more umlauts than I've seen in six weeks in Germany. Uh, but anyway, he's talking about how the, the story of Native Americans in the United States is an incredibly complex, violent story in which they utterly dominated and decimated the Europeans every bit as much and more as the Europeans did mean stuff um, to the, the native people. And uh, there were also uh, alliances made and broken. There were treaties made and broken. Um, and indeed, the early settlers, the early um, 
the uh, what's the the proper term the uh, the colonies if you mm-hmm. will the uh, the efforts to uh, establish like Jamestown for instance yep. um, were were horrifically uh, unsuccessful. Uh, the Europeans were sent packing violently by the native people many times. Then they would come back and burn cornfields and slaughter natives. And as Himalayan points, uh, points out, it sounds like a familiar story of colonial cruelty, but he offers a different emphasis. Such massacres, he said, were the actions of a terrified, isolated, weak, and ultimately unstable, unstable community. In Himalayan's view, the colonial violence exposed a deep-rooted European anxiety over enduring indigenous power. The attacks were so vicious because the colonists feared the Indians who refused to submit to their rule. Long story short, it was a harsh, difficult, and you know, fertile and wonderful continent, and everybody was struggling to survive. They were all human beings trying to figure out how mm. to survive. Your sweeping, epic narratives are not really useful in understanding what actually happened. No. One of the greatest points I ever learned from Jordan Peterson is that when you read history, you have to read it as if you're the bad guy. You're the perpetrator. Because we always like to think we'd be the people who would rescue Anne Frank, or we'd be the one person in the Hitler rally that would not raise their hand and salute. But statistically, you would not. You would not. Statistically, you would be a Nazi. If you were in Nazi Germany, 1930s, you'd be a Nazi, because everyone Mm -hmm. was. You wouldn't be rescuing Jews, because very few did. Same thing. If you lived in America in 1860, you'd either have a slave or support slavery or like go along with it, just like we do with abortion today. We just sort of go along with it at best, right? So you, you, you're the bad guy. You're the perpetrator. And if you don't read history that way, then you're not reading history at all. And the same thing. Like if you look back on our colonial times and you don't think that if you were a colonist, you would want to uh, be safe from these savages who are trying to kill you, you're crazy. And also, if you're an Indian, if you think back, if you were a Native American back then, you'd probably want to kill these invading white guys who are trying to, like, who are these people? So this, you need to look at history with, with those true eyes. And that's been the theme of this hour, Joe. I love it, is realism. Be a realist. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, we, uh, we sure appreciate you joining us, uh, Mike, uh, Mike Slater. It's always, always interesting and always a pleasure. Enjoyed it thoroughly. Mike is the host of the podcast Politics by Faith. Highly recommend you seek it out. Um, obviously, uh, our, our hopes and prayers are with your child for Thank you, uh, health and, and happiness, and let's stay in touch. He's thriving. Always good to go deep with you, Joe. Always good to spend time. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Slater. Good stuff. Uh, much more to come. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. 
like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We got to the uh, par three fifth hole. Jazz here, teed off yeah. first. And lo and behold, you only got a hole in one, didn't you? Yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah, of course, he says. Yeah, so he does it every day. <laughs> Very unusual, get a hole in one. I stepped up second and teed off, and you won't believe it, got a hole in one as well which is totally unheard of to have two holes in one on the same hole with consecutive players in the same competition. So that's uh, a 69-year-old chap and a 72-year-old fella playing together, it sounds like, in in England, I guess? Yeah, that's great. Um, Yeah, yeah, look at him there. That's fantastic. One on top of the other. Uh, For golfers in the audience, you probably want to know it's a 145-yard par three. And uh, the second guy used a nine wood. Who has a nine wood these days? Anyway, good for them. That's crazy. Uh, I've had one. It was years and years and years ago. I've played a hell of a lot of golf since. And uh, it seems to be, uh, I don't know, about as likely as flapping my wings to fly, getting another one. So stopped thinking about it long ago. Uh, my computer problems continue. A couple of people reached out to with uh, offers of help. I appreciate that. I've got some some good troubleshooting uh, info. Um, I was just thinking back. You know, Jack and I have been doing this for a long time. Jack's off today. He spent some time with his uh, boys, which is wonderful on this holiday week. Um, and uh, you know, I used to come into the studio with a couple of newspapers, a couple of magazines, maybe in a stack of articles I'd printed out. And uh, my the stack of articles never like burst into flames, or the paper disintegrated, or you know, occasionally I'd drop it and have to put everything back in order. But um, these these wonderful devices we've invented as if i've invented any of them uh these wonderful devices we have now um 
are incredibly capable, then when they go sideways, completely useless. There's probably something deep and philosophical there. I have no idea what it is, though. Man, you grabbed a newspaper again. Unless that thing burst into flames or somebody poured a bucket of water on it, it was going to be a newspaper all day long. And until you recycled it, I mean, you could go back and look at it. There was nothing went wrong with a newspaper. Unless it didn't get delivered, I guess that would be the only uh, problem. Then you'd reboot it by calling saying, I didn't get my paper. It would show up half an hour later. Anyway, uh, we were talking with Mike Slater about realism and uh, recognizing reality and fundamentals and that sort of thing. (sighs) Do I have time for this? Someday in the future, two and a half, Michael? Three and a half. Okay, yeah. Someday in the future, we're going to look back on this period where biological boys were allowed to compete against girls. And and, and the people of the future are going to say, uh, that that's crazy. You didn't have girls and boys sports? And we'll say, oh, yeah, we did. We did. We just let boys compete. Well, did you not know they were boys? Oh, no. We knew they were biological boys, but they said they were girls. So we had to let them compete. Why? Why did I thought you just said you had boys and girls sports so girls could compete against girls? Yeah, we did. But if a boy just said, yeah, I'm a girl now, we had to let him compete because this weird cult had taken root in American education. And though 90% of people thought it was insane, everybody's afraid to say anything. And the people of the future will think, you weak-willed dopes. How could you fall for something that crazy? It's self-evidently madness. For instance... Washington's Seattle Academy High School Girls Cross Country Team qualified for the state championship this year. Congratulations. Thanks mostly to a quote-unquote trans student by the name of Aspen. I'm not going to use any uh, last names in this because we're talking about children, misguided children or misled children, and I would never want to bring derision down upon a child. Last year... This Aspen person was a mediocre cross-country runner on Seattle Academy's boys' team. During freshman year, Aspen competed as a boy, finished 72nd in the league finals. Now, as a sophomore, competing as a girl, Aspen broke Seattle Academy's school record in the girls' 5,000-meter category and ranks first in the league. What an achievement. By the way, Aspen's time in the 5,000 would rank him 48th if he'd competed in the boys' division. So went from 72nd to 48th, which sounds about like the improvement you would expect to see when a freshman becomes a sophomore in high school. Earlier this semester, Aspen took second at districts, qualifying Seattle Academy for the state championship. Seattle Academy competes in the Emerald Sound Conference, which is comprised of 14 schools, uh, the folks writing this article spoke with a coach in the conference who told us, quote, allowing this person to compete about against biological girls deprives other girls and their teams of the chance to compete at state, which is a big deal. It's a memory for a lifetime. If this person competed in the boys' division, they'd place 56th on the boys' team. It's not just the coaches who are upset over the wins. They spoke to several parents of young female athletes in the conference who are understandably upset. Um, said one father, 
this guy is larger than any of the girls and shamelessly takes first place on the podium. Now, my daughter is competing against a male for scholarships, and we can't even say anything. You can't even approach it in a nice way without being labeled a hateful bigot. You'll get threats against you. Parents are terrified to even raise concern about this person's presence on the girls' team. Another parent noted, quote, parents are upset, but they know it has to go to the state committee, which isn't politics. It's the state high school board. And unless there's some kind of pressure on them to change the rules, nothing's going to happen. It was back in 07 that the Washington Interscholastic Athletic Association adopted the International Olympic Committee's bizarre position, which said, yeah, yeah, you, just, you, can, uh, you can trade sides or whatever. There's more on this story. It's insane. Someday we'll recognize how insane it is, I hope. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, We've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.